thanks for thy day. Uh, we pray that as we gather afresh here around thy word, considering thy word, thou would be pleased to presence thyself with us. May we know thy power here, thy presence. May we know thy spirit uh, teaching us and illuminating our hearts concerning thy word. Uh, Father, we do pray that thy hand would be upon us today as uh, we commence the services here in this place. And may thy word be preached with clarity, may it be preached with power, and as we worship thee this day, and may we know uh, thy presence and thy speaking voice here with us. Uh, Father, open up thy truth to us now, we pray. Give us wisdom, give us understanding, uh, give us grace, we ask. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. We're turning to two passages in the Word of God this morning. Uh, firstly, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and then moving into Psalm 119. Uh, we've considered already the inspiration of Scripture, its God-given authority, and those two truths are interwoven with each other, and they influence other aspects of Scripture, such as its sufficiency, as we have already considered, and as we will see today, the clarity of Scripture. And as we come to this study this morning, uh, we're going to uh, structure this a little different. Our introduction will be longer, and it will deal with the explanation of the doctrine of, clar of the clarity of Scripture. And then our points will be thoughts that flow from or, uh, or are outworked uh, from this doctrine. And those points, uh, there's a few of them, they'll be somewhat shorter, uh, but and that is our general uh, structure this morning. Uh, but Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll commence at uh, verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. And then we'll move to Psalm 119. And the verse 105. Uh, we'll read just the verse 105 uh, this morning. Well known verse, I remember as a young child receiving a Bible, and at the very front of that Bible uh, was uh, this verse Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. And so this morning we are going to consider together the clarity of Scripture. And the question immediately arises to us, what is clarity? And the Cambridge Dictionary refers to clarity as being the quality of being clear, of being easy to be understood, easy to see, or easy to hear. And the Word of God has a clarity, or as the Reformers worded it, a, per, a perspicuity. Again, a word that means clear and easy to understand. And hearing that the Bible has this clarity, 
It may make us instantly wonder, how can these words ever apply to Scripture? How can the Word of God be clear? Because when we suddenly think of Scripture being clear and easy to understand, we think of the book of Ezekiel, we think of maybe Isaiah, we think uh, perhaps uh, of the book of Revelation, uh, we think of the deep doctrines contained in the Word of God and things that we uh, do not know very much about, and we think, how can Scripture be clear? There's so much we don't understand, so much I don't understand. How can the Word of God be easy to be understood? When we think of the book of Revelation and how men have all their different views, uh, whether it's uh, dispensationalism, whether it's premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, or you take the easy option and uh, be a panmillennialist, it'll all work out in the end. There's all these different views as to how uh, the end times will come about and what they will bring and regard to their timing as well. How can Scripture be clear when there is so much diversity of opinion? Paul declares in Romans 11, on the verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. And Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 16, is also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, speaking of Paul, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction. And so, Scripture itself indicates that it is hard to be understood. So, therefore, why uh, did the Reformers emphasize the clarity of Scripture? Why do we emphasize the clarity of Scripture today? If we took a wrong road somewhere and ended up at a doctrine that is wrong and false and very easy to be to be challenged. When we think of Scripture, it is a vast book compiled of different authors over a period of around 1,500 years. Scripture itself uh, calls for men to preach who are gifted, diligent in the study of Scripture, able to preach the unsearchable riches, again showing the depth of Scripture, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Scripture is a deep book. And the Roman Catholic Church claimed that the Word of God was obscure. And the only people qualified to interpret and teach that word were the clergy. And those who were part of that system, the clergy of the Romish system, those who were not priests or monks or bishops or cardinals or even the Pope, could not interpret Scripture, did not have that ready access to Scripture. And therefore, there was this great gulf that was created by the Catholic Church so that the ordinary person did not have a regular and constant access to the words of God's written revelation to man. The Reformers desired to change this. It was William Tyndale who desired that a simple plowboy would know much of Scripture. He, I'm paraphrasing the original quote in his context, but he desired that a simple plowboy, one with no education, one who had a job that did not require academic degrees. He could understand the meaning and the purpose of the Word of God. And the doctrine the Reformers set forth was this same doctrine, the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. And many Protestant churches follow this doctrine today. We read the Scriptures, we discuss the Scriptures, we preach the Scriptures, we interact with the Scriptures. And while there are deep things in the Word of God, the clarity of the Word of God, that doctrine indicates that the Word 
is accessible to us. It's clear, it's easy to understand when we think of the fundamental truths of Scripture. I've done much evangelism over the years, and one of the things we would use in evangelism or give out would be the Gospel of John. Uh, there's been, I think, uh, various uh, campaigns in Northern Ireland over the years by different individuals uh, who give out the Gospel of John. I think on at least one situation, uh, when, I, uh, when I worked, uh, I think it was a year or more ago, uh, we were delivering, Canada Post were delivering uh, Gospels of John or a particular New Testament Gospel as a means of outreach, not Canada Post. We were paid to do it, uh, but it, uh, it felt good delivering the Word of God uh, to uh, various homes uh, rather uh, than all the, all the junk mail you get today. Uh, but why are the Gospels, or the Gospel of John in particular, why is it given out? Why is it given out to those who need to be evangelized, need to be told the truth of God? Because it's simple, because it's clear the message contained therein can be easily understood. Yes, there are deeper things, but the message, the fundamental gospel message is simple and it is clear. When we uh, think of the early church, there were many leaders in the early church who did not allow the deep things of Scripture to discourage Christians from reading the Word of God. One of those early church fathers said that uh, the Scriptures are such that even the most ignorant can understand them if they only read diligently. He said, all things are clear and open that are in the divine Scriptures. The necessary things are all plain. When we come to the time of the Reformation, there was an interesting discourse between Erasmus and Martin Luther in 1524. Erasmus produced a, a work defending the Roman Catholic doctrine of the free will of man, particularly against Martin Luther. We won't go into the aspects of that debate, but in the preface to his book, he attacked Luther's frequent appeals to Scripture. Luther confidently quoted Scripture and used Scripture to defend and support and actually form his point of view. What is wrong with that? Well, from the theological viewpoint of Erasmus, no one could claim to know what Scripture taught on every point of doctrine because Scripture was sometimes obscure, and no one could know exactly what Scripture taught on everything. Therefore, for Luther to say that uh, the Word of God taught this, or the Word of God taught that, and the Word of God taught all that he needed to know, it was an arrogant position for one to take, and of course, an erroneous position regarding Erasmus. But Luther replied sometime later, and he dealt with the doctrine of free will in his book, The Bondage of the Will, but he also countered the accusation of Erasmus concerning the clarity of Scripture. His response can be summarized as follows. He said that nothing in Scripture is obscure. He said anything that seems to be obscure is because of the ignorance of man not the obscurity of Scripture. And when we think of that, yes, there are deep things in Scripture. There are difficult things in Scripture. There are different views concerning Scripture. And that is not the fault of the Word of God. Certainly not. Certainly not. What it has to do with is man, man's ignorance, man's sin, man's failure to understand. 
Some texts are obscure, he said, because the reader does not understand key words and grammar. He said, Satan also tries to blind human eyes to the meaning of Scripture. He said that if a scriptural doctrine seems obscure in one place, then the Word of God will make it clear in another place. He said, whatever is unclear in Scripture is to be prescribed to our depravity. So, if the Word of God is too deep and too difficult to understand, and as many in this world will say, the Word of God, the Scriptures, I don't understand. It's difficult. It's hard. It's because of our depravity. He said, there is an external clarity to Scripture which extends to the whole world. Scripture makes clear to the world the gospel of Christ. But there is an inward clarity within believers worked by the Holy Spirit, which is part of our sanctification. When we are saved and converted, we read and study the Word of God, and it's the Spirit of God working within us, making Scripture clear to us. John Calvin offered various points to substantiate the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. He noted that Scripture is clear because of the purpose and need for it. As we considered some time ago, he rejected that general revelation was adequate for us, because when we look at general revelation, when we look at nature, for example, we do not see uh, Christ. We do not see Christ in the sense of our need for Christ, and we do not see Christ in the sense of how He came into this world and died for us. There needed to be that special revelation. But general revelation was not enough for us to know God. And therefore, it was necessary that another and better help be added. So why would it be obscure? Why would it be hard for us to understand that basic purpose of bringing us to the knowledge of God, the knowledge of our sin, and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was not in vain, Calvin said, that he, God, added the light of his word by which to become known for salvation. And therefore, the consequence of that is that the need and purpose of Scripture to provide and acquire that knowledge of God for salvation demands that Scripture be clear. Scripture be clear and plain. Calvin also argued that Scripture has a simplicity of words and style. Scripture is dealing with heavenly mysteries, those things that are deep and difficult for us to understand and comprehend. We cannot know everything about God, but yet the Scripture has a great clarity, a great clarity. When we move into the Reformation period as well, uh, we find that as the Reformation developed, the Roman Catholic Church uh, began to prohibit the translation of the Bible into the language of the people. This is something associated with the clear understanding of the Word of God. If I gave you a, a copy uh, of the Word of God in Hebrew or Greek or in Russian or uh, whatever it might be, uh, I saw a copy of the Gospel of Luke one time in a dialect in Northern Ireland called Ulster Scots, and, well, I could hardly understand it, uh, never mind anybody else. Uh, but I could give you a copy of the Word of God in another language. It's not clear to you. It doesn't have that clarity to you. 
It might to someone from Russia or from France or Germany or wherever uh, that language is from, but not to you. Therefore, you need the Word of God in your own language to see the clarity that is within it. And the Roman Catholic Church then prohibited the translation of Scripture. There was a 1526 order in the Netherlands to burn all Gospels and epistles translated into the common language. In 1530, King Henry VIII in England uh, prohibited the reading of Scripture in the English language. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church used the Latin Vulgate. Not everyone uh, speaks Latin. It's not the language of the common people. The Englishman spoke English. Most Englishmen did not speak Latin. Martin Luther translated the Scriptures into what? Into German, the language of the people, because Latin was not the language of the people. And therefore, with this language barrier, the Word of God was kept from those who needed to hear it, kept from the very purpose of the Word of God, which was to give them light and to make them wise unto salvation. The Council of Trent, countering the Reformation, declared that only the church possesses the right to interpret the Bible. The church, the Roman Catholic Church, nobody else. They affirm that Scripture is too obscure for lay people to rightly interpret it, or you and I. We don't need a Bible. Let the priest, the pope, the cardinal, the bishop interpret it for us. The Westminster Confession of Faith deals with uh, the clarity of Scripture. And it says in chapter 1, section 7, chapter 1 being about the Word of God, section 7, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due sense of the ordinary means, the ordinary means, the reading, prayer, the means of grace, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. In other words, the confession acknowledges there are deep things in the Word of God, but those things that are most necessary for us to know and believe, to know for salvation, are clear and plain and easy to be understood. We can think of the capacity and the ability of the hearer. And there are those whose capacity for the deep things of God is very limited. But the simple, basic message of salvation is sufficient. It is clear. I have a great uncle who, probably about a year or so before he passed away, I've maybe said this before, a year or so before he passed away, he came to Christ. He spent 70-odd years of his life rejecting the gospel, and specifically, he uh, detested the Free Presbyterian Church. He detested Ian Paisley and had no time for the gospel. But yet, coming to the end of his life, taking ill, already affected by several strokes many years ago, and, and then taking ill again, uh, he was open and receptive to the Word of God. 
And my brother, who was young at the time, seven years of age, went in and read a part of the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, to him. My father went in to talk to him about salvation, uh, wondering what would happen. And he started the conversation, and he said, I need to get right with God. A few days later, uh, and when we ever went to see him again, his mind had completely went. Uh, He recognized uh, very few people, uh, and certainly he never called me by the name Andrew for, for the rest of his life. Uh, I was referred to as Lawrence for some, for some reason. I've never been called Lawrence. It's not a nickname. It's not a name that's within our family. So I don't know where that came from. But when he heard the word read, and when he came to that saving faith in Christ, all the deep things of Scripture was too much for him. If he couldn't get my name right, he couldn't delve into the deepness of God's Word. But the simplicity of the gospel was enough and was sufficient. And of course, God drew him unto himself. But the simplicity of Scripture. And that is what our confession teaches. Those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are clearly propounded. And that's encouraging for us as we seek to witness for others. Oh, the Word of God has many vast, deep things. Oh, the great doctrines therein that we could debate and discuss uh, for weeks and months and years. We can think of uh, the subject of baptism, and over the history of the church, uh, there has been different opinions. Uh, The entire church has not come to one particular viewpoint on baptism, but there has been a division and different opinions. And here, of course, in our denomination, we accept uh, the various main orthodox views about baptism. We have an open position, uh, but yet it is a subject that we've acknowledged has divided Christianity. But yet, when we think of the great truths of salvation, how simple they are, how simple they are, But let us point out before we move on that the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, it's a significant doctrine. It's an important doctrine. And oh, how I've said it encourages us. It encourages us to speak of Christ. We might not know the great doctrines, but we can understand clearly the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. There's much confusion today in the world and in the church. There are those that say we don't know for certain what the Bible says about some matters. They say the Bible is not clear. We can look at the confusion regarding the LGBT movement and uh, what is happening with inside the Christian church. Scripture is not clear in these things. Scripture must be wrong. The Scripture does not apply today. And they claim such a lack of clarity on things that are fundamental scriptural doctrines. And dear believer, if the Word of God is not clear, then how can it have authority? And that is vital. An unclear witness, an unclear document cannot be used for evidence in a court case. It must be clear. And the Word of God cannot have authority in our lives if it is not clear 
If it is unclear and obscure, why would we read it? Why would we study it? Why would we center our worship upon it? If Scripture is unclear, why should we listen to it and obey it? Because if it's unclear, there is not a singular unifying message coming out of the Word of God. What then do we actually believe? Well, we're not clear. We're not sure. The doctrine of God is then called into question. If Scripture is not clear, then it is irrelevant to our lives. And so its clarity is of vital importance to us. And if the Word of God is not clear, it therefore is not sufficient for us. We need to look at other sources of divine revelation. But praise God, it is clear. And this morning, I want us, though our time is moving on, uh, to consider some thoughts regarding the effects of the clarity of Scripture. Perhaps we could refer to these as the outworking of the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture in our spiritual lives. I have, I think it is seven of these, and I certainly uh, don't have a huge amount of time to look at these, and so we'll be brief on some of them. Some may only be a sentence, uh, but it's something for us to think upon regarding the clarity of Scripture. Firstly, because Scripture is clear, Scripture is for the whole family of God. Scripture is for the whole family of God. That might seem a very obvious thing to say, but irrespective of age, Scripture is for the family of God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the verse 4 through to the uh, verse 9. It says there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Verse 7 specifically, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. When they reach 18 years of age, when they reach adulthood, when they reach a particular age, 7, 8, 9, when they can walk, when they can talk, Word of God just says here, children, children. And therefore, the Word of God, because it is clear and easy to be understood in its fundamental truths and for salvation, it is vital then that the Word of God is part of the family, part of family life. When we think of the church, it's important that the whole family attend the worship of God together. As some churches separate the children from their parents, and they go to a children's church where they supervise themselves. No, they don't supervise themselves. The adults are taken, some adults taken from the worship service to supervise the children. They're missing the very Word of God they need to hear to be able to teach the children. We're not talking about Sunday school like we have here, but the removal of children from the worship service officially by the church into a separate service just for them. And yes, it's good for children to be taught the simple Word of God 
according to their age. That's what happens in the Sunday school. I'm a little old for Sunday school now, but I assume that's what happens. Some may differ. Some churches do differ. I don't think there realistically can be a difference on this point, but I believe nothing should be organized by a church that clashes with the Lord's Day services because the whole family of God should come together, young and old, and no one should be taken away. Yes, we may be sick. We may have a reason why uh, we must uh, not come. Uh, and certainly there are good uh, reasons people can have, justifiable reasons. But there should be that open invitation for everyone to come, the whole family of God meeting together because the Word of God must be heard. It is clear. It is easy to be understood in its fundamental truths, and it is for the whole family. There is a clarity. And while some young children may not understand everything or maybe nothing at all at the very start of their lives, there is a training, there is a learning, there is a building regarding the importance of worship and those fundamental doctrines of the Word of God. I can look back to being four, five, six years of age. There's some things in the sermon that I had no idea what the preacher was talking about. But there were other things that at four, five, six years of age, I understood. Some of the illustrations he used, I could relate to. I knew where he was going when he explained the gospel from a simple illustration. Four, five, six years of age, I remember understanding some of those things. The worship of God, the Word of God, is for all of us. It's for all of us. It may be difficult in places, but its message is clear, and we must teach it to our families, to our children, and set that example. And yes, it may be hard uh, for us to bring the Word of God or to explain the Word of God. Children have questions, but yet that encourages our own study, does it not? To know what Scripture itself teaches. Some Christian parents rely on the church to teach their children the truth. They rely upon the Christian school to teach their children the truth. But what does the Word of God say here in Deuteronomy chapter 6? And of course, the church is to teach the children the truth. The Christian school is to teach the children the truth. But it is to be taught diligently unto thy children by the family, by the parents. That's scriptural as well. Not only in school not only in church, but in the home, in the home. Secondly, here, Scripture has a simple unifying message. Scripture has a, a simple unifying message. And do you believe at this point should be crystal clear? The Word of God from Genesis to Revelation has the great theme or purpose of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that is contained therein. Sanctification, the building of the church, God's plan for this world. It's clear, it's simple, it's fundamental. It's a message that this world must hear. It is a simple, unifying message. When we turn to anywhere in the Old Testament and we turn to the New Testament, there are not contradictions. There may be changes, but there are not contradictions. When we move from the Gospels into the writings of the Apostle Paul, there is a simple unifying message. No contradictions. No contradictions. And praise God, that message is simple and that message is clear. We can think of the Philippian jailer 
who cried out to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, we don't know how much the jailer knew. Paul and Silas were singing praises, so he knew perhaps something about why they were in prison, what they were doing, what their message was. We can only surmise. But at the same time, I think we could say with some degree of certainty that he did not know everything about Scripture and everything about Christ. He knew something of the fundamentals, obviously. And the jailer believed through simplicity, simplicity, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He knew enough to say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they gave him a simple and clear answer. Oh, the simple unifying message of Scripture. But also notice here that Scripture can be clouded by our sin. Scripture can be clouded by our sin. We've touched on that perhaps already. Luther has said things regarding this. But the great obstacle to understanding Scripture is not Scripture itself, but it's us. It's our sin. It's our wickedness. It's the corruptness of our human heart. Of course, in John chapter 8, uh, the Savior uh, spoke, and He said, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil. If we turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And the verse 4, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." And Paul here is speaking of the God of this world blinding the minds of them that believe not. And Paul speaks again in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, "...but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. He's speaking about a blindness here of those realizing and understanding that Christ is the Messiah. And we can think there in 1 Corinthians 3, he speaks to the believers about their division and says about the milk of the Word. They cannot even have that because of their immaturity. Oh, how our sin can cloud our understanding of Scripture, our ideas based on men and not based on God can cloud Scripture. Dear believer, there's much more we could say here. We don't, we don't have the time. But the simple thought on this is that we ought to pray and fight against sin day by day. We ought to seek the Lord for help to stand against sin, that in our lives we are able to understand more and more of the great truths of Scripture, that our sin, that our feelings, whether that is a laziness in coming to the Word of God, and whether that perhaps is our own ideas, God can't be right when He says this. Maybe other sins that are 
taking us away from Scripture. Let us pray that God would deliver us from these things, that His Word would be clear to us, because we need His Word. We need His Word. If we turn back to Psalm 119, the verse 105, what does that say? Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Unless you're out in the wilderness, you might not use a lamp or a light nowadays. In the sense of walking down the street, there's street lights, there's some light. But if you're out in the mountain, you're on the hillside, there's no light. I remember climbing a mountain in the dark. You needed light. You needed your headlight. You needed your torch to see the way because there was a drop the other side. And the Word of God is that to us. It is a lamp. It is a light. And what is a lamp? If we turned off all the light in this building, we blocked the windows, there was darkness here, what does the light do? If I turned on the light, what would you see? You would see clearly. The light makes the difference. And the Word of God is clear. The Word of God is that bright light to guide us. Let us not fall into sin in that that light will be affected by sin, or our understanding of that light be affected by sin. Let us flee from it. Let us be guided by the Lord. Scripture, fourthly here, and we'll be very quick, Scripture is to be studied through prayer. In light of our sinful human mind clouding our understanding, we're to pray that the Word of God would be clear. What did the Sabbath say? Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open my eyes. Why? To see the wondrous things found in the Word of God. And the psalmist understood the importance of prayer alongside the Word of God. Dear believer, when we come to Scripture, it's a book that is not a novel. It's not a work of fiction. It's not a magazine you buy from the supermarket shelf. It's a spiritual book that is God's revelation to us. And alongside, there should be prayer that God would make clear the deep things of His Word, that God would root in our hearts those clear, easy-to-be-understood, fundamental truths found in His revelation to us. Fifthly, Scripture is to be available in the language of the people. If Scripture is clear and easy to be understood, and we've touched on that, it's to be available in the language of the people. John Wycliffe in England sought to translate the Scripture into the language of the English-speaking people. The Roman Catholic Church opposed that, and he was criticized uh, this way. Christ delivered His gospel to the clergy and teachers of the church in order that they might minister to the laity and to the weaker persons. But this master, John Wycliffe, translated Scripture from Latin into English. Thus he opened it up to the laity and to women who can read, as if that seems to be a terrible thing. Even more so than it had been formerly open to the most educated and understanding clergy. In this way, the pearl of the gospel is cast before swine and trampled under their feet. Oh, how terrible those words are. A man who sought to give the people the Word of God in, his, in their own language. 
and those from the Roman Catholic Church are opposing him. Opposing him. There was a criticism here, but oh, that God's word would be esteemed and respected. Yes, but the ordinary person is in need of that word. And so, there is a duty upon churches to make the Word of God available in the language of the people. That's an ongoing work today. We can think of the Trinitarian Bible Society and others. It's a great guiding principle of missionary work, not only to plant New Testament churches, but to have the Word of God in the language of the people. That as Ezra did, the Word of God would be read, the sense would be given, there would be that understanding So therefore, in light of this, a simple outworking of the clarity of Scripture is supporting those who are making good and dependable translations available in the languages of this world, praying for them, encouraging them, supporting them. I remember 20 years ago visiting Lanzarote. It's a Spanish-speaking island off the coast of Africa. We took Spanish literature, a couple of other languages of gospel literature, and we went on vacation. We spoke to a retailer one day and religion came up. His native tongue, I believe, was in Spanish, but we had literature in his own language that we had brought with us, just a small supply. And we were able to give it to him the next day. Simple literature that shows forth the clarity and the simplicity of the gospel message. I haven't been back to Lanzarote. Um, beautiful place. But yet, this man, whoever he was, Whatever happened to him, the clear, simple message of the gospel was there in his own language. In his own language. Oh, how important that is. Sickly, we see that Scripture interprets Scripture. Again, this is a clear truth. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And the principle of interpretation, this principle keeps us under the authority of the Bible looking at Scripture in light of other Scriptures, rather than leaning on the novel or heretical interpretations of men, letting the clear Word of God explain itself. And then finally, Scripture delivers from ecclesiastical tyranny. Scripture delivers from ecclesiastical tyranny. The Word of God is clear, easy to be understood, and it's clear that there should not be ecclesiastical tyranny. We can think of the Roman Catholic Church we've mentioned already, and they lorded over the people. And they claimed the Word of God was obscure, and therefore and they kept it among themselves and among their hierarchy. But what happened at the Reformation? The authority and clarity of Scripture was believed in, and that set in motion the great Protestant Reformation. And Scripture, because it is clear, because it is easy to understand, that great message of salvation is simple stands against ecclesiastical tyranny. Oh, that we would know the Word of God. This doctrine encourage us, encourages us to know Scripture. As Deuteronomy says in verse 30, it is not hidden from thee, the commandment that God gave. And we can think of His Word. It's not hidden. We don't have to go and get it beyond the sea. Verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. God has given us his word. Let it be in our mouth. Let it be in our hearts. 
Let us hold firm to this doctrine, desiring to learn more from Christ and His Word. Many have said, and I came across this question when I was uh, looking at a number of books about this, but the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture can be abused to justify the neglecting of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. In other words, Scripture is clear. We don't need the pastor. We don't need the preacher. We don't need to come to church. We can just read. But yet, I think here we know well enough that God has commanded the assembling of His people to worship Him, to hear the preaching of His Word. One of the ways in which His Word is made clear is through the preaching of His Word. Let us hold firm to this doctrine. Let us proclaim it. Let us believe it. Let us obey it. And let us live out the Word of God in our lives for His glory. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Scripture, for the clarity of Scripture, how blessed it is. Oh, the simplicity of Scripture. How many of us can look back to our salvation and think of how little we knew of Thy Word, but how much we knew because we knew that great fundamental truth that we needed to be saved, that Christ was our Savior. Christ could save and redeem and deliver. Oh, the great simplicity of salvation. Father, we pray that Thou would give us opportunity to witness for Thee, to tell forth the simple message of salvation. Yes, there are many deep things in Thy Word, but Father, give us that opportunity and that courage and that confidence to speak of Christ simply as He is revealed in Thy clear Word. Father, we pray that Thou would bless us now. Be with us for the services to follow, we ask. And may Thy name be glorified, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.